Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. Let's dive in on a, a tough subject. Now, I want to say from the outset, it's important to understand that God has built inherent value into every human being. Every human being has value because each of us is created in the image of God. And God loves each of us enough that he sent Jesus for each of us in our brokenness. And God has called us to love each other despite our brokenness. Now this is a this is a hot button topic. And the word homophobic anymore is hurled as an accusation as an insult against which there is no defense. You can't prove you're not something you aren't. It's kind of like the term racist, right? When it gets thrown at you, you're guilty just because someone threw it at you. Facts don't matter. Um, But you've got to know, even Google plays that game. So I looked up, just curious. I Googled the definition of homophobic. Here's the definition Google brings up. Having or showing a dislike of or prejudice against gay people. That is a revised politically motivated definition. It doesn't even follow the rules of the language. Um, To be phobic, right? Understand the term phobic? To be phobic means to have an exaggerated, usually uh, inexplicable and illogical fear of a particular object, class of objects, or situation. Their definition doesn't describe anything about fear, does it? It's simply created to be an accusation through the definition. But I want you to understand something today. Christianity is not homophobic. Christianity has never been afraid of gay people. It hasn't. Many of the early believers were in a culture where gay was an everyday thing for everybody. They didn't have the kind of boundaries that we have in our culture. And they became the first Christ followers. So Christianity is not, nor has it ever been, homophobic. However... Most Christians have been. (laughs) And that's what's happened. And I hope you're learning in this series that when considering any accusation or any myth against Christianity, that we really want to get in, we want to look at the historical context, we want to understand the cultural context, we want to see the actual biblical words, and we want to avoid using only the verses that support a position we want. Now, let's dive in. Introduction. Christians created this perception of homophobia. 
We did this to ourselves. Sometimes Christians see that God disapproves of something and then they overlook the rest of what the Bible says about it. And we don't, we don't pay attention to what God has said. And I'll tell you, Christians have been correct concerning what God says about same sexual behaviors. But they've ignored what God says about how we should respond to and interact with those who are struggling with behaviors that Scripture deems inappropriate, unacceptable, or sinful. Now, for a few minutes, I want to set aside the whole concept of homophobia, of homosexual things. Let's just set all that aside. When we speak only half of a truth. And you'll notice that whenever you speak only half a truth, you're usually skipping the half of the truth that's inconvenient for you. <laughs> right? When we skip half a truth and we only present half a truth, that is why the main thing many people believe about the church is that it is anti-gay. And that shouldn't surprise us. We did that by not sharing the whole truth. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, which, by the way, never mentions same-sex attraction or same-sexual activity or anything. But it's crucial to understanding the truth on this subject. Galatians 5. And I'm going to have you I'm going to have you circle something here. For you have been called to live in what? Freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to, now just circle what there's, one, two, three, four, the next five words to the period there. Use your freedom to serve one another, how? In love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you wouldn't do it to you, don't do it to somebody else. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. All right, number one. We are called to live how? Free. I mean, the context of free for the Galatians was that they no longer had to keep the law of Moses. They no longer had to do circumcisions. Amen. All the guys in here are going. Yeah, they didn't have to be circumcised to be right with God. They didn't have to follow the law of Moses to be right with God. They didn't have to keep the festivals to be right with God. They didn't have to eat certain kinds of food to be right with God. They were free to follow Jesus in all of their life, in all of their choices. But the call to freedom here makes a lot of sense because 
when you have a discussion of freedom, it's always going to eventually, kind of like Godwin's Law with Nazis, <laughs> eventually what's going to happen is we're going to talk about sexuality or sexual expression and the freedom there. So people immediately go to this. Well, who says I have to wait for marriage before I have sex? Who says I can only have sex inside of a marriage? How is watching porn hurting anybody, uh, uh, hurting me or anybody else? Why do I have to limit my sexual activity to just one person? I mean, I was born this way. Why shouldn't I be free to follow my orientation? If a person wants to have sex with someone of the same gender, who is anybody to object? If two people of the same sex want to marry, who, what right does anybody else have to say anything? So for God's people, those questions actually bring on two more questions. We have to ask, so those questions we just ran through, do those questions reflect a proper understanding of freedom? What exactly does it mean to be free? And is anyone ever truly free from all authority? So for God's people, God is the ultimate authority. We see him as the authority for us, and we see him as the authority for everyone else. But even if I reject all external authority, divine and human, is there still not something or someone else calling the shots over the top of my life? Maybe it's my culture telling me, do whatever you want, you'll be fine. Maybe it's my peer group. Maybe it's my hormones. Maybe it's some combination thereof. But you gotta understand, when I reject, when I reject God's authority because I don't like it, I don't think anybody has a right to tell me anything. What I'm doing is I am still committing myself to an authority which lacks the objectivity and the perspective provided in God's word. So a lot of times I'll hear people say, you know, you get, you, you get a couple of 15-year-olds that are having sex with each other. And they will say, because, you know, at 15, you're the smartest thing on the planet, right? I mean, you know more than everybody else. You know, no, no, there was no intelligence till you were born. But I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody else. Listen, when I disregard God's word, I cannot confidently say that my action has no harmful consequences. The best I can say is that from where I stand right now, I see no harm in what I'm doing. Some of you, in your younger days, thought that in the back of your dad's car. Now you have a child who's much older than they should be. Because from where you were sitting at that moment, you could see no harm. See, when we choose to engage in a behavior 
we are also choosing the consequences that come with the behavior. I mean, this constitutes a moral law that is no less binding than the law of gravity. And while I'm doing something, I may not be able to say what all the consequences might be. We do know this, that when God forbids a behavior, as he does with any misuse of sex, he does so to our benefit and for our protection. He's trying to spare us heartache and harm. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, okay, so a culture is free to legitimize any behaviors it wants to legitimize. But it's not free from the consequences of those behaviors. The the Greco-Roman cultures legitimized slavery and in the process killed millions of people and violated the basic human rights of millions of people. They disdained, they were misogynistic. They used women as breeders only. They murdered female infants. The end result of that was way too many men and not enough women. And that created male promiscuity across the board. All those things, even murdering of little girls, was legal and accepted in their culture. It was a normal thing. But they harmed or killed millions and millions of people over hundreds of years. And they could not escape the consequence of it because every step they took away from morality took them deeper into the pit until the Greek and the Roman empires collapsed under the weight of their own corruption. Little things they thought they had the right to do eventually cost them everything. See, the challenge for us, it is appropriate for God's people to remind others of freedom's true definition, absolutely. But to be biblical, you and I, when we warn them, must also live out the full expression of freedom made possible by Christ. Listen, to preach to people, to teach people, to tell people that they can live free without doing it ourselves is a horrible horrible form of hypocrisy because what it does is it cancels out the very example that people need to see to have hope we're telling them it can be done but we're not even doing it one of the human laws that enslaves a lot of believers is one i've heard called the law of limited grace what it says is god can pardon me and forgive me of my sin but god can't keep me from being controlled by my sin And people feel helpless against the pull of sin. But watch what Paul reminded the Galatians. Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in how many parts of our lives? Every part including our sexual behaviors, whether they're same-sex attracted or they're heterosexual. Paul says, grace has crucified our sinful desires. So what happens now is I still feel the desire, but now for the first time, I have the ability to choose my actions rather than to be the victim of my actions. All right, number two. 
we are warned not to use freedom to indulge our sinful nature. So Paul reminds the Galatian Christians that while they are free from the law of Moses, they are not free from the law of God's morality. You know, like many of us, the Galatians were having a real hard time getting their brains around this concept. They were really good at pointing out the problems with other people while excusing the problems they had themselves. They didn't apply the same standard of behavior to themselves that they were applying to others. And Jesus addressed this really directly. Watch this from Matthew 7. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. By the way, that's not telling you you can't judge others. That's telling you be careful. <laughs> Get your stuff together first. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, verse 3. And, or today in the Midwest, we would say, so... Or, therefore, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? In other words, he says, where do you get off trying to act like an authority, trying to act like you're an expert, telling someone how to do something you don't even do? You're really good about talk. So what's he call you when you do that? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, this is what we're talking about when we say, when you preach freedom, but you don't live free, that's the log. You're not living free is the log in your eye. It cancels out the hope of anyone ever getting a splinter out of their eye. See, when Jesus said we shouldn't try to remove a splinter from another's eye if we have a log in our own, he's not excusing splinters. He's not saying splinters are okay, everybody's got them, don't worry about them. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about being healthy enough that you can effectively remove splinters, not just from their eye, but from yours. You've got to master it in your life before you can help them master it in theirs. He says, openly and humbly practice what you preach model what other people need to see. Once you figure out how to remove your splinters, then share that with others. Now, back to the subject at hand today. Every single New Testament reference to homosexual behavior is found among a list of sins. Let me say that again. It is found among a what? A list of sins. So it's not the only sin spoken of. There is a list. Now, follow with me in Galatians 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Circle these two words, sexual immorality. That's going to include... Same-sex behavior. That's also going to include sex outside of marriage. They're on the same level. You getting this? 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, now underline all the way to the end. As you're underlining it, read it with me. That anyone living that sort of life will, what? not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, Christians have been legitimately criticized for focusing on one entry in a list of 15 and skipping the other 14. You know why we skip the other 14? You don't have to watch today's Christianity very far. Even a casual observer of Christians today is not going to find any problem seeing hostility, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. Are we as quick to criticize those things as we are this one thing? See, that's the hypocrisy. So what are we forgetting in all this? Number three. We are to serve one another humbly in love. That's the thing we keep forgetting. See here, I think it's the crux of the matter. When it comes to a biblical response to homosexual behavior. Even if we have the right definition of freedom. Even if we're avoiding doing the other 14 things in the list. We must also love one another humbly in love if our response is going to be biblical. Now, I hear people say all the time, but I am loving. I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. That almost makes my head explode. I'm not going to lie. That is actually a bad misquote from St. Augustine who said, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. I got news for you. The world's not feeling our love for mankind. (laughs) Research shows that a vast majority of people outside the church and people inside the church describe the church as anti-homosexual. What's not coming across is love for those people. Instead, what comes across is disdain or hatred. Listen to me clearly. Our problem is not our stance on homosexual behavior. We oppose this lifestyle because Scripture opposes it and says it is not good for God's people. It says the same thing about arguing, too says the same thing about any number of things in that list that we just read, right? You angry with anybody? Feeling hate toward your family? Got divisions between you and your friends over politics or masks or whatever? You're in the same list. The problem is Christians have not been as loving as they like to think they are. We need to be known for loving. We need to be known for serving in humility. But we are not. How do we fix this? These are not listed, but I'm going to run through some things, some areas where we need to to humbly change ourselves, where we need to do something different. We must humble ourselves for a lack of understanding. There's so much 
we don't understand. We have assumed same-sex attraction is nothing more than a matter of just people having rebellious choice. I'm just going to give you one example. This doesn't cover everything. But here's an example you need to know about. Are you familiar with Swire syndrome? It's interesting. It's an actual medical condition. It can be tested. You can find it medically. There's physical evidence. So chromosomes in your cells contain the genetic instructions on how your body's going to develop and function. People have 46 chromosomes. Uh, in each cell, two of the 46 are known as X and Y are called sex chromosomes. X and Y, they help determine whether a person will develop male reproductive structures or female reproductive structures. Girls typically have two X's. Boys typically have one X and one Y. In Swire syndrome, which I want to add again, is a provable, objectively provable medical situation. In Swire syndrome, individuals have one X and one Y in each cell, which gives them the structure typically found in boys. However, they develop female structures. Or to put it plainly, male wiring, female plumbing. <laughs> it's a real condition. Now, what do they do with that? That's another discussion for another day. But you have to understand, it's not as simple as we've often wanted to make it be. We must humble ourselves for wrongly assuming that those who support a gay lifestyle do so out of hatred for morality. They do not. Some of them love morality, but they also love their family members, and they worry about their mental health. They worry about a struggle that often leads to suicide. Maybe some of their responses are immature or misguided, but it's not because they hate morality. We must humble ourselves for how we've reacted to those who are struggling. Listen, some of us have lived by a double standard. We condemn same-sex activity while participating in heterosexual activity outside of marriage. There's no difference in God's eyes. Both are prohibited by God. We must humble ourselves because, honestly, we're partly to blame for the confusion. Christians have not celebrated marriage the way God intended marriage to be celebrated. We have not let it be the metaphor that God wanted it to be. We have engaged in cohabitation before marriage, just like people who don't care what God says have done. We participated in divorce and adultery at nearly the same level as people who don't care about God. We need to own that. Number four, how do I improve my response to Christ followers who struggle with same-sex attraction? I'm glad you asked. I have some suggestions. Quit thinking your sins are less harmful than others' sins. Quit lying with your words and your deeds. Stop your character assassination of others. Quit continuing to do things God has convicted you he has said no to. Stop doing things you know don't help your relationship with God. 
Stop gossiping about people. Quit being divided in your family. Go make peace with your own family members. You say, wait, I didn't get all those written down. It's all right, they're in that next passage. That's Proverbs chapter six, the section we know as things God hates. Clean up your own stuff and deal with your struggling friends from a position of compassion in an atmosphere of grace. Listen, there are many Christ followers who are sincere strugglers. They're seeking to be loyal to Jesus while wrestling with same-sex attraction. Encourage them to see that their impulses are not infallible. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you need to follow it or that it's real. Help them understand their identity is more than a hormone-driven sex drive. Help them understand that their true identity rests in being beloved image bearers of God the Creator. Help them understand a better definition of what it means to live free. The Scottish author and poet George MacDonald said something, I love this. He says, a free will is not the liberty to do what one likes, but the power of doing whatever one sees ought to be done, even in the face of otherwise overwhelming impulse. Listen, God's people understand that having free will does not mean we are freed from God's will. What it means is having free will means we are freed from the lie that says not doing God's will is going to turn out okay every time. It gives us a warning. It helps us realize God's will is good for us. And that real freedom is freedom to not participate in sin even when we feel it. It's a battle all of us are fighting in this life, right? You say, I'm not really fighting a battle to not do wrong. Really? Elmore and Kimberly? 5 p.m. on Friday? You really, really don't get angry with people? You seriously don't think about giving the salute to some of those drivers? You seriously don't call them names under your breath? We all fight that stuff. And listen, that road that our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters are traveling is not an easy one for them. And there's no quick fix for it. So you and I, we stay alongside of them as they persevere through what may be a lifelong struggle. And the same is true for those struggling with issues of gender incongruence. They don't feel, they don't feel like their birth gender or gender dysphoria. They, they, they want to be a different sex. They're not always rebels just trying to bust up the world from binary male and female. Sometimes they're just people trying to understand why they feel what they feel, trying to feel at home in their own skin and trying to be at peace with their maker. See, to humbly serve them means loving on them, not getting weirded out because you don't understand. To humbly serve them means allowing them to walk alongside us as they struggle and we encourage them and support them. As we give them time to become what God created all Christ followers to become, right? That's what the church is supposed to be. 
So my grandfather was a literal shepherd, literal shepherd. He had hundreds of sheep. He's the most patient man I think I've ever known in my life because sheep are a hassle. As my grandfather one, one time said, no smart man ever raises sheep. But we were out, one of, the, one of the, the, the times when I had been sold into slavery for baling hay for part of the summer. I think my parents were off at a convention or something. Some sheep had gotten out. And my grandpa, we went out on the tractor to go along the fence and check out the fence and try to figure out where the sheep had gotten out. So we're looking for wherever it is. And as we're driving along there, my grandpa mentioned to me, he said, do you know that sheep farmers in Australia, a lot of them don't have fences. And I'm like, it's a big place, it's like a whole continent. Their sheep will get lost. And I asked him, how can they not have fences? Do you know what he said? He said, the land, Australia, much of the land is hot and barren. And rather than build fences, they dig wells. Sheep in a dry land won't wander away from where they can find water. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well who was struggling, who was in sin at that time? He's talking to her. And he asked her for water and she wanted to spar with him. She wanted to argue with him about it. John 4.10 He said to her, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Listen, God created the church to be a source of living water in the community, flowing freely in a dry, barren land for anyone who would drink of it, even if they're still living in sin and still struggling to do what's right. All right, conclusion. We often forget our own story. We do. We have short memories when it comes to us. 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now here comes one of those lists. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sins or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what we forget, verse 11. Underline this sentence. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can I remind you that some of you were a hot, steaming, slidey mess when you came here the first time? You were. That's the reality of it. Some of you were drunk or high. Some of you, I get an alert from the security team going, guy down here in this section. really high right now <laughs> some of you were committing adultery some of you were cohabitating or having sex outside of marriage some of you were fugitives from the law trying to create a churchy backstory for when your arrest came inevitably <laughs> so you could say and I so appreciate it now I go to adventure adventure 
not just been a couple times that I've had the sheriff's office call and say, so we have one of your members. <laughs> you know, my answer always is, only the sick need a doctor. <laughs> but the reality is, we accepted you knowing you were struggling. Listen, in the kingdom of God, acceptance sometimes precedes repentance. We had to create an atmosphere where you could see that you were loved by God through others. And we tried to lay out what God wants for you, how God has for you to live the way that he made you to live. Romans chapter 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Listen, we grow best when we're allowed to start where we are, right? Start where we are and have someone walk alongside of us. Adventure's responsibility is to walk alongside of people on the path toward holiness. Toward holiness. Adventure leans toward grace and patience while still lovingly teaching the truth about sin. We'll always love. And we'll follow it up with humble service toward others. We'll devote ourselves toward a biblical view of personhood, of sexuality, of marriage, and of holiness. Listen, why do I keep bringing up holiness in this thing? Because holiness is the crucial piece missing from most of our lives. Holiness reminds all of us that we are more than our sexuality or gender. We are more than our habits. We are more than our insecurities. We are more than our doubts and our fears. Each one of us is made in the image of God and we only find our true fulfillment in Him. Holiness steers those who struggle with same-sex attraction not toward heterosexuality, but toward being like Christ. That's the goal. Holiness is essential for those of us seeking to speak truth to tough issues. And those who love God refuse to live by their impulses, by their sexual impulses, by their sinful nature, whether, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual. We choose to live by the Spirit and honor God by our actions because we realize there is more to this life than a sex drive. And only a holy heart is going to be able to tell the whole truth about how to live free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to stop today and really look at this because this mythology, this myth about Christianity was actually generated by the behaviors of Christians. Father, we thank you that Paul reminds us, and such were some of you. Father, some of us still struggle in many areas with many different sins. But Father, help each of us who have been able to get a bit of victory over things to walk along those that are still struggling and show them how to get some of that victory, how to enjoy some of that freedom. Father, help us not to condemn them for their sin. That's not our job. 
but our job is to show them compassion as they seek you. Father, may we represent Jesus at all levels and in all relationships and in all friendships. And Father, may there be in us a well that brings forth living water to flow freely in the desert of our culture to draw lost sheep toward you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.